If you've got a Bible, you can take them and go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be talking about mothers today. All right. I know that's shocking a little bit. But we're hoping that it's a little bit of a broader message. So if you're here and you're a mom, that it'll speak to you. But if you're here and, and you're not a mom, um, maybe you um, have had uh, you not come to that stage of your life yet, or maybe you're here and it's a difficult moment, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I believe that the message today is for all of us. But there is something special about moms. This week I was thinking about the fact that, you know, as a dad, I could... Um, with my boys, I could have, from the moment that they were first able to kind of roll anything, touch anything, I could have rolled a, a, a ball back and forth to them, help them figure that out, learn that. And when they got a little older, maybe out into the yard and throwing the football and teaching them how to run routes and how to catch the ball, make the window, let the point of the ball break the window right there, catch it out in front of your body and work with them over and over and over again with that and help them get through clinics and take them to practice and watch them on the field and be there when they need me to be to help correct technique and work and through middle school and high school and encourage them as they sign and get off to college. And then when they get to college and they make a big play on a big stage and a big game after all those years of hard effort that I've put in as a dad to help them get to where they need to be. They're going to put the camera on them in that moment and the athlete's going to look at the camera and say, hi mom, right? There's something special about a relationship with a mom. So moms, we want to honor you today for all the work that you have put in for our lives. My mom's here today. I am so blessed with a mom that was great in fostering an environment where I could pursue the Lord. I'm thankful for my wife, Susan, who is an unbelievable mom to our kids and fostering that attentiveness to the Lord and what they want to do. My mother-in-law, Karen, is here, and she's a great mom to her kids and seeking the Lord on a continual basis. And I am so thankful for what they mean in my lives, what they mean in the lives of my kids. And we do honor you today and thank you for the time you spent carrying the children, for the time you spent changing diapers and midnight feedings and 2 o'clock, I'm sick, Mom, and phone calls, extra glasses of water, spills and cleanups and laundry. We honor you. But you know that being a mom's not always easy. I really expected a couple of amens there, all right? Being a mom is not easy. And on the internet, sometimes people like to take the kind of the, the hard parts of being a mom and put a different face on it. Put a different quote. Take a picture of something and say it relates to what being a mom is like. I found a few this week. See if you can relate to any of these. Where is your other shoe? Every parent ever, right? How many of you have ever had a kid lose a shoe? Not both shoes, just a shoe, right? Like every, how many of that happens on a regular basis, like every morning or afternoon? Or sometimes we hit the, sometimes we hit the trifecta, we get every kid loses a shoe like twice a day, all right? Or what about this one? Um, how do I put this? You will never sleep in again. Right? It's true, right? Truth has been spoken there. Or, or this one, um, it's 545 in the morning. Hmm, I'm the first one awake in the whole house. 
think I'll play this kazoo. It just feels right, all right? How many of you have an early riser? Like early, I mean pre-9 o'clock. No, like pre-7 o'clock. We got like three. I got up this morning, was getting ready, thought I get, usually the house is quiet. I got up, all but one of my kids was up and wired, like ready to go, all right? Or what about this one here? When you're half asleep and your child is standing next to your bed staring at you. Have ever had that one? I see that hand, Krista. I see it right there. A little, the worst part about being a parent. A little. I had to explain this in the first service. They did not know who Caillou is. It's terrible. It's terrible. All right. Next one. This is called the 40% tip right here. So that extra special... Extra special Mother's Day dinner this afternoon, right? Or the next one here, grandparents be like, one little snack before you go home. I hear the grandparents out here. I don't mean it's right. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's right. All right? Or this one. How I feel after putting the kids to bed, right? Right? It's a prolonged process, right? It doesn't just happen. It's like an all-night affair. In fact, I uh, I heard a story about a mom that put her um, her put her son to bed, and he's like a, a five-year-old son, and he was upstairs, and so she put him in the bed, tucked him in bed, went downstairs to her bedroom, and about five minutes after tucking him in, uh, she heard, Mom, can I have some water? And she responded, No. Go to sleep. Five minutes later. Mom, can I have some water? No. Go to sleep. Five minutes later. Mom, I'm really thirsty. Can I have some water? No. And the next time you ask, I'm going to come up there and give you a spanking. Five minutes later. Mom... When you come give me a spanking, can you please bring me a glass of water? Right? Being a parent is a joy. It's great. It can be challenging. And sometimes in the midst of doing all that we do, we lose sight of the reason we're doing it. And what I want to talk to you today from 1 Samuel chapter 1 is what is the point What's the reason? Why do we do this? What in the world is God up to in giving us these children to take care of? You know what is fascinating? In like the animal world, human babies are like the most dependent babies for the longest amount of time. Anybody watch the giraffe give birth? Like the eight-month process that was, right? Do you see how long after that giraffe was birthed, the baby, it was standing? It's like within an hour. Our kids take like a year, right? Walk around. An hour. You wonder, well, what's God's plan in all of that? And so today I want to talk about the point, and then we're going to talk about how we do what the point of parenting is. And, And so here's the point. Here's the reason all of this really happens. 
The point of motherhood, the point of parenting, the point of it all is that we are wanting to raise godly kids and release them into the world for his glory and the spread of his kingdom. That's the point. That we want to raise godly kids that then we release into the world for his glory and for the spread of his kingdom. Now there's some important parts of that and we're going to kind of break those down over the next few minutes. But part of it is that we want godly kids. We want people that are passionate about pursuing God. That want to fall in love with Jesus. That want to run after him. That want to do what God wants them to do. That want to serve him. Whatever they may be doing with their lives. Whatever environment they're working in. Whatever families they have. Wherever they are planting their life in the communities. That they're praising God. That they're, they're seeking God. That they're influencing people for God. But then also that we want to release them. The idea is not to hoard them. It's not to keep them. It's not to protect them. It is to release them into that environment, into the world in which they will live for the sake of his glory and the spread of his kingdom. And parenting, you almost always have to use this verse when we talk about parenting is we almost always have to use Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. I want to show it to you. You know it, but this is the King James Version. I rarely use the King James Version, but that's what you know it in, and so we're going to use it. And it says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and in the end he shall not depart from it. And so our goal is to train up a child in the way they should go, and then at the end they will not depart from it. Now, a couple of things about this passage, this verse, that you need to be very clear on before we kind of move into what that looks like. The first thing is, this is not an ironclad money-back guarantee. What I mean by that is Proverbs are a series of words of wisdom about the way that life generally works. And so you and I know people that are godly people that have raised their kids to be godly, that have put them in church, that have shared with them the gospel, that have talked to them, and when their kids grow up, they do depart and they leave. So it's not like you can go to God and say, God, I did everything I was supposed to do and they left. You promised. Well, there's a difference between a generalized rule of the way things work in life and God's promise. And what God is saying here is you need to create an environment where they're going to follow the Lord. And in the end, for the most part, they will come back. And that's the second thing. It's not an ironclad money back guarantee, but it is generally true with God's grace. Because here's the reason. If it takes perfect parenting to create godly kids, we all fail. Godly kids are not made in perfect environments. And so what we do is we try to create this place where kids can develop into the people that God calls them to be, to passionately pursue our Father, passionately pursue Jesus. And they're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. Susan and I are going to make mistakes. We make them on a daily basis. But our hope is that at the end of it, that God will fill in the gaps, that God's grace will come in where our failings have happened, and we will create an environment where our kids will see the glory and the wonder of passionately pursuing Jesus. And as a result, that's what they want to do and so my goal as a parent our goal as a family is to establish a home that it instills and exhibits the gospel that it encourages the spiritual growth of our kids and it prepares our kids to be salt and light for the kingdom of god in the culture in which they will live so how do you do that that's why we're going to read first samuel Chapter 1. 
Now, the reason we're going to look at Hannah is a couple of reasons, and we'll get to one of them in a minute because of the difficulty that she went through, but also because Scripture teaches us that Samuel turned out okay. I mean, Hannah's the mom. We're going to read the story of Samuel and how she prayed for Samuel and how the Lord delivered Samuel. And we're going to see that Samuel turned out okay. And if you want to see if somebody created an environment for a godly kid to emerge, it would be good at the end to see a godly kid emerge. And when Samuel gets to the end of his life in Samuel chapter 12, his kind of farewell address, he gets before the people of Israel and he basically says, if you have anything against me, tell me, or can you testify to this place that I have been what God intended me to be? And they all declare, you are what God intended you to be. That's pretty good. And so when we look back and say, okay, so what did she do? It's 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's not going to be on the screen today because it's a narrative. I want you to hear the story. I want you to read the story with me. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you've got a smartphone with an app on it that you can look it up. 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you don't have either of those things, just listen as the story unfolds. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. And then we're going to look at two or three things that are important for establishing an environment where godly kids can grow. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man from Ramathame, Zophrim, in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jerohom, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, son of Ephraimite. I, I, I think I only missed three of those, all right? He had two wives, the first named Hannah, and the second was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priest. When Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of meat to his wife and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Let me just take a moment and say this. We're here on Mother's Day. And some of you are here because it's Mother's Day and you're here with your mom And it's a blessing and an honor for us to honor our moms. But we also realize that on a day like today, there are women that are here, there are men that are here that are grieving because Mother's Day isn't always easy. Because sometimes when we come on Mother's Day, it's not that it's uh, an easy day because we've lost our moms or our moms failed us in some way. Or the relationship is strained. And so for you to be here today is an act of mercy and an act of grace. And it is God that has brought you here. And I want you to hear this story through the eyes of someone that may be hurting. Maybe you've lost your mom recently. Maybe you lost her a while back. But on days like today's, it just brings up those memories and it hurts. Or maybe you're like Hannah. But you want to be a mom. Maybe the Lord hadn't provided that relationship yet. And you're still single and... You've kind of longed for that, and you've waited for that, and you've looked for that, and you've worried about that. Or maybe you're married, and God just hasn't provided that. You've tried, and you've looked, and you've worked, and you've prayed, and it just hasn't happened yet. Many of you in this room know the story, Susan, I have, but some of you may not. We struggled with infertility for a while. In fact, doctors told us that we could not have children on our own, zero percent chance. As my relatives say, I hope that guy's selling insurance instead of being a doctor these days. Because four kids later, God has shown out a little bit. But I remember specifically, specifically, days like Mother's Day and Father's Day, sitting in the sanctuary, hearing about that, and the pain and the reality of our own lives bearing down. 
And what I want to say to you is, we're going to see in this passage, Hannah struggling through that. And the thing that I want you to see in this passage, if that's where you are today, is that God hears, God knows, and God remembers. And we believe that in spite of what circumstances try to tell us, God is good. And God's goodness is not dependent upon my circumstances. When Elkanah, verse 4 again, offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions to his wife and then double to Hannah. And just to make things worse in verse 6, her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying, her husband would say. Why won't you eat? Why are you so troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? By the way, that's a little much right there. All right, guys. I mean, I know that's a little much, all right? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank in Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple, deeply hurt, deeply hurt. Deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forgive me, forget me, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk. I love it that the Bible puts these kind of details in here, right? And he said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get over it, woman. Get rid of the wine. Hannah replied, no, Lord, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had anything to drink. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I have been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I have requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all of his household went up to make annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Her husband Elkanah replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as her three-year-old bull, a half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then she slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshiped the Lord there. In this passage, there are three things I want to talk about real quickly that were part of the life of Hannah that helped establish an environment where a godly kid could grow. And here's what I want you to get the picture of. 
This is like you're trying to grow something in the garden. This is like you're trying to grow something in your house, a plant. And listen, I'm, I'm terrible at that. I'm not very good at that. I don't have a green thumb at all. But I know what's supposed to be there. And what's supposed to be there is good soil and good water and light and nutrition. And you've got to put all of those elements in there. And when all of those elements get in there, when they're all put there in the right combinations, then it gives the opportunity for that plant to grow. And when I see in this passage... Or just like you need air and water and light and nutrients, there are some things that need to be a part of your life as a parent, or even if you're in this room and you're a grandparent, that need to be a part of your life in establishing a place and environment for godly kids to grow. And the first one is this. If you want godly kids, you need to be a godly person. Part of the reason I love this story is because we see Hannah in a terrible place, in a despondent place, in a place where she is consistently being made fun of, in a place she is consistently being reminded of God's lack of blessing on her life. In fact, when she tells Eli that she's been praying, she says, I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. So this isn't somebody that's having a great life and decides, you know what, I'm going to give back to the Lord. This is someone in real trial and real difficulty who says that in the midst of that, I'm still going to serve the Lord. Here's what I like about this passage. From everything we see in 1 Samuel 1, we don't see any kind of outward retaliation that Hannah does towards this woman that is giving her a hard time all the time. Nothing. What we see is she takes her concern, she takes her worry, she takes it all to the Lord. And the example she sets is an example that will give Samuel the opportunity to see what it's like to live for the Lord. Now here's what I want to tell you. Most of character in your kids is caught rather than taught. Your kids are going to catch much more of who you are than they're going to learn what you want them to learn. Or, or to think about it this way, another way, you can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Or another way, if it's not real to you, it won't matter to them. Or one more, sociologists have told us that the traits of the parents become the tendencies of the kids. You ever got mad at your kid about something, and in the moment you're corrected them, you realize they are acting exactly like you acted? Anybody ever had that moment? Anybody? Can I just see some support in this room for that, all right? Been there, right? I've said a lot of times in my life, the things that irritate me about my own life and my own character drive me absolutely nuts in my kids, all right? You're like, I don't know where you, oh yeah, I do know where you got that from, all right? Right? Here's what is the truth. We are all flawed human beings, and so I'm not saying we got to be perfect. But I do think it's important to understand that our kids pick up on what's important to us, what we care about, what direction we want them to go, much better than we ever imagined. And if you want kids that are godly, if you want kids that are pursuing Jesus, if you want kids that are going to do the right thing, you need to ask yourself, first of all, am I willing to do, am I following the Lord like I'm called to do? The first step to real parenting success is an introspective look at who you are. And here's what I want you to understand. 
That starts well before you're ever a parent. And just because you're not a parent in this room doesn't mean you're off the hook. Because Hannah wasn't a parent for a long time. But I believe that the way she responded to God in the midst of not being a parent helped determine the direction of her son's life when she became one. Right along with being a godly person, the second thing that you must be if you want to be someone who sees the Lord work in the life of your kids that creates an environment that builds the soil is that we must be intentional. Here's what I love. Hannah's got a plan. She goes to the Lord. She says, Lord, I want a child, but not just because I want a child. I want a child to be able to bless you, to be able to serve you, to be able to do what you have called him to do. And so here's my deal. When I do this, Lord, when I come to you, I'm saying that if you will give me a child, I will dedicate this child back to you. Now, when we hear that, most of us immediately think of kind of a spiritual application of that. Lord, this child is yours. You do whatever you would like to do with this child. But when Hannah said that, she meant, I'm giving this child to you at five years old, and it's going to the temple, and it's going to stay there for the rest of his life. I mean, think about this. In in a couple of weeks, on Father's Day, we do parent-child dedication. I think right now we have nine or ten babies that are going to be dedicated on this stage. Okay? And when we do that, we talk about prayers of dedication. And we ask the parents, are you dedicated to raising this child in a godly home? Church, are you dedicated to helping these parents raise this child in a godly home? We ask, we, we pray a prayer of dedication over the kids. We do all of that. We dedicate those kids to the Lord's service. But that is in a spiritual sense. Hannah, as soon as the child is weaned, probably a, a still a young child, is going to take this young child, take this young child to the temple, give it to the priest and say, this is your child, this is is your servant. I am giving him to the Lord and she's going to walk away. There's a difference in I'm going to spiritually dedicate this child to the Lord and I'm going to intentionally give this child for being raised in that way. Proverbs 29:15 tells us that without correction, without direction, a child is a reproach to his mother. Now, it means there that what is happening is that when we don't give any kind of guidance, any kind of intentionality, our kids by nature are going to veer off into a direction where they are not going to follow the Lord on their own, generally. They're not going to find their own way. You've got to be intentional. Can I speak to my generation for just a moment? If you're not in my generation or you don't have kids kind of in the process of growing up at this moment, you can turn your ears off for a minute. I want to speak to us. Part of my concern for my generation for us is that I see us being intentional about so many things in our kids' lives. Their academics, what's happening in their school activities, their hobbies, their extracurriculars, their sports. We'll spend money, we'll spend time, we'll spend effort, we'll get them the best training, we'll get them the best places, we'll send them to the best camps, we'll make sure they get the best coaches, we'll make sure everything in their lives, we work on it in the afternoons with them, we make sure we rearrange our schedule to make sure all of that is taken care of, and that we will do everything we can to be intentional about those things. And for many in our generation, when it comes to their spiritual life, the best that we can do is we outsource their spiritual development to the youth group. And it is not Jeff Kelly, it is not Ellie Thomas, it is not Janetta Holmes' job to be the primary spiritual influence in your child's life. Scripture says that job is yours and you cannot outsource that. 
And your kids will understand if they see that the priority of your life is not their spiritual development. And from that, they will in turn realize that it's not that important. We talked about last week in our deacons meeting that uh, our generation is attending church less than any generation in America. And I'm talking about people that say they're committed Christians. Um, Recent studies show that that. 20 years ago, if you ask somebody, are you a committed believer, follower, committed member of your church? Yes. How many times do you attend church? They would say, oh, twice a week. They ask that question today. You know what the answer is? Oh, I go out twice a month. And here's what I want to say to my generation, because we don't know the impact of this for the years to come, but here's what I want to say. We cannot be surprised if our idea, our standard of average, uh, of being a good, committed church Christian follower of Christ, if we think that is twice a week or twice a month in church, when we get around to it, we cannot be surprised in 20 years when our kids don't go at all. When everything else in our priority line, everything else in our schedule takes priority over gathering together as a part of God's people. We can't be surprised when they take advantage of that and say, you know what, I I see that it's not important. We have to be intentional. And here's the third thing, and then we're done. We're going to build this environment. We're going to build this place where they can grow into the children and the people that God's called them to be. Thirdly, don't idolize them and discourage them from idolizing you. And this is what I love about Hannah. So Hannah comes. She prays. God gives her the child. She takes the child, and she freely releases him to the Lord. Now, here's the thing about this, okay? And that definition of of what it meant, what the goal was, what the the idea was, what the point was in parenting, we we use the word release, right? Part of parenting is that our goal is to get them out of the house. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? I love my kids. I love my kids. And I know that at some times... We, we, we look back and we think, boy, if they just wanted to stay, you know, Ava has told us she's never moving out. Um, Luke's moving out as soon as he can, and he's not having anybody else in the house with him. He's by himself, all right? So, we, we, you know, like, Ava's never leaving us, and, and by, the time, by the time we get done with our four kids, and Ava, we may need Ava never leave us because she may have to take care of us, all right? And so, um, like, but the goal is to release them into the world. For the glory of God, for the spread of the kingdom, to release them into the world. You know how some birds teach their young to fly, right? Put them on their back, start flying, and then, mm, right? Take that wing a little bit, mm. And when the bird starts to go down, swoops down right at the last minute, picks them up, takes them back up, starts flying again, mm, right? The problem is sometimes in our society, we are so... Our identity is so wrapped up in our kids that we fear them failing for what it'll say about us. Or we fear them leaving because of what it'll mean for the rest of our lives. But the goal of parenting is to release. I was reading this week about, uh, there's some some discussion happening in our our culture right now about um, teaching our kids to be adults. Um, in fact, there's a senator, Ben Sass from um, Nebraska, who is reading, write, writing a book, has written an article about how we need to begin to parent towards teaching our kids how to be adults and getting 
them out of the house. And part of this behind this is sociologists have identified that we are now extending adolescence beyond the teenage years. Do you know what adolescence means, by the way, the, the clinical definition? Adolescence is wanting the privileges of adulthood without the responsibilities of adulthood. <laughs> I hear come on somewhere. <laughs> the privileges of adulthood without the responsibility of adulthood. And here's the thing, okay? This sociologist, is it me? The sociologist have said that what used to extend to 18, 19, 20 in that parameters is now on average, on average with a large portion of our segment of American population, especially males, I didn't call them men, males, is that that has extended to 32 to 35 years old. Mm, right? Mm. But here's, probably, here's part of what's happened, okay? Here's part of what's happened. A hundred years ago, guys worked on the farm. They worked in the area. Industrial Revolution came along. They worked in the factories. When you were 18 years old, you had already been working for three or four or five years. And when you were 18 years old, your parents said, it's time to get out there and make some money and take care of yourself and find a family. People get married younger. They're getting out there. They're having a family. They got a house. They may live to mom, next to mom and daddy, but they're working for their keep and they're taking care of that. Then, and this is a good thing. I mean, this, I'm a college graduate, but we developed four-year colleges. And what has happened over the last 15 years is... Our four-year college graduates are racking up enormous amounts of debt. Seventy-something thousand dollars is the average debt for somebody four years college. They get out of that. They got a degree that they can't get a job in. And so they move back home to try to pay off the loans. And they're there for five, six, seven, eight years. Okay. Now, some of that's society's fault. Some of that's all that. But part of it is we have to begin to think through, okay, what does it look like to help to release our kids into the world for the glory of God and for the sake of his kingdom? And she, listen, she didn't wait until he was 18, 19, 20, 25, 30 Hannah had this vision from the Lord. She made this vow to the Lord and she turned him over to the Lord and she trusted him. Because her hope, her identity was in the Lord, not in her child. And I just want to say this to us as parents, because I'm walking through this myself. I mean, we're thinking about the fact that we are moving. We, we have our last, uh, uh, this next year, within the next three months, we'll have our last child start kindergarten and our oldest child start high school. And so transitions are coming. Four years from today, I'm standing here with Eli on this stage in graduation robes. Unless something goes really wrong and then I won't ever give a parenting sermon again, all right? (laughs) And my intention is when he stands on this stage, I'm going to love him, I'm going to support him, but that's also a transitional moment in his life and we're going to help him figure out what it is God's called him to do and where God's called him to do it. And our goal is that then we're helping to push him towards what God is wanting in his life and where God's wanting him to go and where God wants him to be and that that is a moment for us to excel that and to move that beyond. But you know what happens when I know that's the case? Is in my mind right now, I think I got four years. And what seemed like an eternity when I was waking up at two o'clock in the morning to feed him because he did not want to go to sleep. Seems like a... And he's gone. And when I know... 
that my identity and my hope is not in him and that God's going to move and use him in a different way. I become more intentional because the time as it gets closer and gets shorter, your intentionality becomes greater. You ever notice that with a deadline in school or at work? Like when you got two weeks, you're like, ah, I'll take care of it whenever. But when it gets to like, I got this, turn this in at three hours, it's amazing how focused you can become. I love the way that chapter one ends. And we're going to end with this. This is verse 28. It's the last verse of the chapter. And it says, Hannah, speaking to Eli, says, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. But then I love this statement. Then he, that Samuel, worshipped the Lord there. The last phrase of that sentence is, she turns him over to the Lord and he follows. That's my prayer for my family. I know I'm a dad and it's Mother's Day. But that's my prayer for my family. That's my prayer for you. And as we think about that and as we move towards that, my question to you today is, are you establishing that environment for godly kids to grow? It's not too late. Are you being a godly person, someone seeking after the Lord? Are you someone that's being intentional with them about their spiritual life, not just everything else, but their spiritual life? And are you putting your hope and your trust in the Lord, not in them, and encouraging them to do the same. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and it's going to be for for several things. It's going to be for you if you're here, and, and, and you're a mom, you're a dad, and you think, man, in one of those areas, I have not been doing what I should be doing. And I just want to come and pray. I want to talk to the pastor. I want to pray here. I want to ask the Lord's guidance in the midst of this. I really do. Or maybe you're here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a parent, or maybe you're a child, or maybe a teenager. Maybe you're here with your mom or dad because it's church, and they ask you to come on Mother's Day, and you think, I've never even given my life to Jesus Christ, and I don't even know what that's all about, but for some reason I need to talk to somebody about that. Um, scripture tells us that none of us are perfect and that the grace of God through Jesus Christ dying for our sins gives us the opportunity to be saved, and I'd love to talk to you about that today. Maybe you're here and... You're one of those kids that was raised right and you've gone off the path. They weren't perfect parents. Nobody has perfect parents. If you're looking for perfect parents, good luck. But you don't have an excuse that they didn't lead you to the Lord. They took you to church. They talked to you about the Lord. They tried. And you've just gone away. And the Lord today is calling you back just saying, listen, you were raised better than this. You were shown better than this. You were given the direction to go. Maybe this morning you just need to talk or you just need to pray or you just need to come. I'm just going to ask you to respond, whatever that may mean. Maybe it's just a commitment that you're going to make that you've been trying in these three areas, but you're just going to pray that the Lord's grace would fill in the gaps and that you would be able to do more in those areas to cultivate an environment to grow godly kids. I'm going to pray. When I finish praying, the band's going to come up. And as they do that, I'm just going to ask you to respond. Let's pray together.